I'm sitting in a hotel room in Chicago, like a nice hotel room. The bed is bigger than most New York apartments, and one of those sofa lounge things lines the bottom of the wall of windows, in case you get overwhelmed, I guess, and need to rest. There's a tie case tucked under the flat screen TV, yellow, pink, burgundy with white stripes, and most importantly, red. And there are pictures of Donald Trump everywhere. Yeah, let's go. From NBC News, this is The Trail Tapes. My name is Jake Heller. And every month, we'll bring you the story of someone with an unorthodox connection to the 2016 presidential campaign. Maybe a campaign bus driver or a bartender. Today, it's John D. Domenico, a celebrity impersonator. And, as you may have guessed, his number one character right now is Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. This is my interview with a Donald Trump impersonator. So you're a Donald Trump impersonator. Along with a bunch of other characters, yeah. Isn't one Donald Trump enough? There's never enough Donald Trump. (laughs) More seriously, because that was obviously somewhat uh, joking. It's quite flippant of you. Oh, (laughs) it's off to a terrible start. But how did you become a Donald Trump impersonator? How does that happen? I, I um, I do a lot of different voices and a lot of different characters and about forget the exact time must have been 10 12 years ago it's right after the first apprentice came on and the show was really did huge numbers or as Trump would say huge huge numbers and I was a kind of a go-to guy for all different voices and characters in kind of the New York and Philadelphia market and somebody called me up and said hey I've got a voiceover can you do Donald Trump and I thought mm, give me some time because vo- I had heard his voice a lot, but I couldn't, I'd have to sit down and figure out how to break it down. And I took the time and I learned the voice and I got the job. You've said that it took you watching 30 hours of Trump footage to crack his voice. Yeah. First of all, I watched the entire season of the first season and then I lifted his voice out of it. Well, after you watch 30 straight hours of Donald Trump, do you have to go to some sort of rehab program? <laughs> Yes, you start like dreaming in, in, in Trump phrases. What is a Donald Trump l- lucid dream? Donald Trump lucid dream is everyone's a loser, I'm a winner, you suck, I'm the best. <laughs> it could be worse. That sounds like a pretty good dream. But secondly, what more importantly, what is the Donald Trump voice? The Donald Trump voice is all, anytime I break down any voice, there's, multiple elements. So there's uh, his voice specifically is nasal placement, throat placement, vocal production, which is very specific for him, um, secret sauce, which is somebody's, usually it's attitude, you know, depending on what character you're doing. So if it's Austin Powers, baby, it's kind of sexy. But with Trump, it's a little different. It's more like this unique confidence that he has. And listen, I know what I'm doing. You don't. It's over. So his thing is kind of a an angry confidence, and uh, and and then for then anything I can do to kind of get the face right because his you know he's he's a little bit throaty. He's a little bit nasally, and then he does this thing here with a formation of the words. 
actually influence the way his voice sounds and the way the words form. And, and he adds a little bit of New York on certain words, but not all words. And of course, that cadence is unique to him. And who's the other guy who talks just like this? I don't know, but I've actually found that during this presidential campaign season, when I'm trying to do a Donald Trump impression, I often sort of end up in Bernie Sanders territory. <laughs> like, I think that there might be some similarities there, but I don't know. Well, the greatest similarities I found, and I don't know if this is by accident, is Christopher Walken is from Queens, and he talks like this. Mike, hey, that kind of, he has that unique cadence. Mm -hmm. And Trump has that kind of cadence thing, too, which he's kind of moving away from. But there is a, he is unique in the way he speaks. Hello, everybody. Here in Chicago, John put that unique voice to work at a corporate gala for a travel company made up mostly of Mexican-Americans. Who here is Mexican? Anybody? You see that? You see that? They love me. They love me. It's amazing how many people just love this guy. They absolutely love him. What do you think it is about him that people so adore? I think the fact that he, he does talk, he speaks extemporaneously, he says what he thinks, he says, I want to say from the heart. He's very authentic in what he says and how he says it, good or bad. Just a quick question, is anyone here from the Mexican government? By a round of applause. Okay, a couple of people. Listen, later on I want to talk to you about a wall I'm building down there. It's going to be incredible. And he's also kind of short and curt, you know? And I think we all kind of experience that. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or whatever it is. And they, you know, what a moron, what an idiot. You know, what are you doing? And no one else does that, but he does. You know, somebody aggravates him in an interview and say, sit down, get, get out of here. And we all want to do that. And he's doing it. Last question, is anybody here from Univision? Good, good. I don't want to be interrupted. Okay, so that's the voice. What about the look? Uh, obviously the hair. Obviously. Obviously. Uh, he's, he's always kind of... Squinting. He's squinting, and if you watch the first debate, it's always this kind of, he's listening, he's taking things in, but in a way, his concentration level is really, really intense, when it has to be. When it doesn't, you can, you can see when he's on his own and he's on stage, he's much more physically open. He's literally, his body, his body language changes. He started wearing a different tie in the last few weeks, so I went, I went and bought that tie. He went. What, what was the other? What was the tie he was wearing before? For for years he wore the the pink tie, the yellow tie. Um, then recently he's gone from the light blue shirt to the white shirt to the red tie with the um, white stripes on it, the thin white stripes. He's always worn the power, the red power tie, but he kind of retired that during the apprentice years, and now that's back. That's his big move. <laughs> yeah, that's his secret. The red, the red power tie. If only Jeb Bush wore a red power tie. <laughs> So it's, you know, so there's these little subtle, they're not like big, big things, but they're all subtle No, but I mean, you, it's amazing that you notice with such specificity all these different changes. Yeah.
on the plane, I didn't have a chance to do my nails. And I know this sounds silly, but to me, like if I look down and my nails aren't done, like that's not Trump. Like I, I have to like have my nails done or do them myself because if I look down and see my hands, they have to look as if they were his. Like when I used to do Austin Powers, I used to specifically wear like red underwear. <laughs> Cause that's what Austin would wear, baby, yeah. What kind of underwear for Trump? I just waited for, it's, believe it or not, I thought about this. Of course you did. Yeah, I, I thought, and I thought, what would this guy wear? And I'm thinking, boxers, briefs, whatever. But in my mind, he's just, he's just wearing white underwear. He's white undershirt, white underwear, black socks. He's like your basic businessman. He's, you know, he's Don Draper, 2015. He's your basic businessman. But briefs? Yeah. I have a theory. Okay. And the thing is, there's this external opulence, but interior there, it's very actually kind of, not basic, it's very, um, what's the word? Um, simple. He wouldn't, in my mind, he wouldn't do that. Because no one else can see it. So it would just be white undershirt, white underwear, that's it. And the funny thing about John's theory, other than the fact that he has a theory, is that it has some backup in academia. Before interviewing John, I spoke with a couple of academics who study how personalities affect political decision-making. And they told me about a personality type called the narcissistic leader. These leaders, they said, are actually insecure. They just try to cover that up with brash behavior. It's kind of like, a nice suit covering up plain underwear. One of the academics, Dr. Gerald Post, who wrote a book called Narcissism in Politics, said that some voters are actually attracted to that behavior. He told me, a wounded people needs to be rescued. Do you think that's sort of what's happening in America today? Uh, yeah, I think so, because I think one of the things, it, it would seem to me that things are really very complicated. But when someone says, I want to take care of it, that's like, oh, uh, okay, that's great. <laughs> no one else said that. Okay, he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> and I think that, that that's what's happening. When someone says, listen, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to work. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be done so fast. Your head's going to spin. When someone says that with such confidence, you're thinking, he must know what he's talking about. But, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting where because his confidence is so complete that people really, they're, they really want to buy in. They absolutely want to buy in. Even when the numbers come back on something like the immigration thing where the number, it's astronomical, well, it was $400 billion, some yeah. outrageous amount. It, it was, it's full steam ahead. He's like, don't worry about it. Yeah. I got it. Right. I want to circle back a little bit, sure. if that's okay, and, and ask you about your childhood. Because you have an interesting start in the impersonation world. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about why you first started doing impersonations? <clears throat> well, first I was a ham. <laughs> so I was, but I grew up in a row home neighborhood in Ambler, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. And I had a speech impediment. And I really couldn't speak properly, and um, it was it was teased and things like that. And I was aware of it. 
And but for some reason, when I did voices, the the impediment was gone. So I would watch whatever TV show, Ed Sullivan, Mike Douglas, whoever was on, uh, any impersonator, and I would come out at night in my neighbors and I would do the act I just saw. And I, would, I got a lot of affirmation for being able to do it. And it was actually easier to speak in another voice and know I wasn't um, speaking incorrectly or not found, you know, like my tongue's in the way or something, or it was just an odd, um, you know, impediment. And then I did eight years of speech therapy from the time I was in first, wait, first grade, first grade to eighth grade. And then throughout high school, I went in for different sessions. Now you said also, I mean, you, you need to even physically transform yourself to be yourself, to leave the house. So you bleach your eyebrows to right. be Trump. You shave your head right. to be Trump. Right. So you need to change from the changes you've made to be yourself. Right, that's true. That's a good point. Does that, is that difficult? What, like, when was the last time you really felt like yourself? Oh, that's, well, up to a few days ago, because I let my hair grow in, and I let a full, you know, my beard come in, and, and then I get to the point where I look at the mirror and go, I kind of look like a bum. I better shave. So, you, like, in your mind, is like Trump is like, you look like a bum. <laughs> right, right. What are you doing? <laughs> I always feel, because I was at the supermarket. That's a terrible Trump. And, yeah, right. and the woman's looking at me, and I'm thinking, you should get a shave and a shower and clean yourself up. You're looking like a loser. Has embodying Trump and all these other people had an effect on your other relationships with people? It's not so much that I'm an impersonator. I think it's more the fact that I'm on the road a lot. Right. You know, this is a sales job. This is a marketing job. I have to update my website. I have to update my social media. I have to get the wigs cleaned and maintenance. I have to find wardrobe people, wig builders. I have to do my own logistics, my air, my ground, my hotels. I mean, this is like a full time. This is a seven day a week job. And you mentioned before you didn't know when you were younger if you'd, quote, make it. Right. Taking all that into consideration, do you think you've made it? Well, I, <laughs> no one knows who I am. So it, it, I make a living doing what I want to do. I'm a kid from suburban Philadelphia. I, the great thing about this business and in this, this country and being an entertainer in general, it's like, I'm going to dress up like this person and get paid for it, you know, and that's what I do. I, you know, write the material, I show up, I do a good job and I get hired again. Well, it sounds to me like you've made it. <laughs> I'd like to think so. I can pay my bills. Well, that's so, good. I mean, and you, yeah. and you enjoy what you do. Yeah. Which is more than a lot of people, I think, can yeah. say. And every now and then I'll get like a movie, like Meet the Spartans or not another celebrity movie or a commercial or whatever. And then it kind of keeps you going for a little longer. I know good looking women and this place is just packed with good looking women like you. You're fantastic. You could be my next wife. But this whole thing is like, this is a boost, and this is one of those critical mass things where it all comes together. That was great. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. Glad you enjoyed it. And, and it doesn't matter if there's 
five Trump impersonators or a hundred, I can't be everywhere. It's just trying to get the really good jobs in front of, you know, great audiences. All, all you want as a performer is to perform, you know, and, and honor whatever character you're doing. And if you had a message for Donald Trump, what would it be? Don't drop out. That's it. That's the first episode. Thank you very much for listening. I do really hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, I'm sure you will let us know. If you did, please do let us know. Subscribe, share, send suggestions for future interviews. I'm on Twitter at HellerJake. This episode was produced by Melanie Ben Cosme and myself. I also edited this episode. Title music is by Shad and DJ Tilo. Closing music, the song you're listening to right now, is by Hey Rosetta and Yukon Blonde. Hope to see you next time. Or not see you, because this is a podcast, but you know what I'm saying.